Welcome to episode 32 of the Toadstool Boardroom for the week of February 22nd, 2023. My name's Logan Plant, and I'm joined today by Chris Shriver. Good evening or morning, wherever you're listening to this. Nice. That was very NPR of you. That was, that was, that was, yeah, I guess it was NPR-ish. <laughs> and yeah. a new member joins the boardroom. Please welcome Justin Korais. Hi, Justin. Hey. hey, Logan. Hey, Chris. What's going on? What's up, bud? Justin's going to be occupying the third chair for the next few weeks, kind of as a trial run, see if he can stand us for an hour every week and if we can stand him. And if all goes well, he'll uh, hopefully be in the boardroom for the long haul. So we're happy to have you, Justin. I'm excited to be here. I love talking video games. I love Nintendo. This is going to be great. So let's get to know you real quick. We got a lot to get to this week. Pokemon Presents is happening next week. Some Nintendo franchise that some love, some hate is turning 30 years old this week. Uh, and we've got some Call of Duty news to talk about. Sorry, it's Star Fox. It's Star Fox. We're going to talk about Star Fox. I've given it a, a hard time on this show in the past. But first, let's get to know Justin. I want to know your favorite Nintendo console, your favorite Nintendo game, series, character, and maybe your favorite game outside of Nintendo as well. Yeah, we can do that. So um, I'm a little bit older. I, I was born in the mid 80s, so I was very much a part of that generation. As a result, like a lot of people around my age, I am a super Nintendo kid. I had the NES, but the what the uh, SNES did blew it out of the water. I think to this day, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System is the greatest console ever made with the greatest library on the planet. So number one, that's my favorite console. My favorite series Easy one. Nice. There you go. But yes, that's it has a Gandorf be... shirt for those yeah. not ha- Right. Ha- yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the silently pointing at myself, probably not good for radio. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a huge Legend of Zelda fan, uh, and a lot of that has to go with exactly that. You know, I played the original Legend of Zelda on that gold cartridge, which just looked like it was something beyond everything else available. Um I used to rent The Legend of Zelda, A Link from the Past, from the grocery store, back when you could do those things. And I would do it all the time. You would rent it, you would make a bunch of progress, you'd return it, somebody else would play it, delete your saves, you'd cry, you'd move on with your life. So um, I played through that game dozens and dozens of times for a very, very long time. That was on my short list for favorite games of all time. Eventually, I actually supplanted Link to the Past with Twilight Princess as my favorite Zelda game, and then kind of kind of de facto Zelda game. And uh, I know that you and I are in alignment on that. I also know that it's, it can be a divisive choice. And there's there's a lot of things that I think it does better than any other game in the series before or since. It's so cinematic. Um, there's like a, a Western shootout in a town full of cats. Like, literally, what more could you ask from a video game? Between, like, duels on bridges and I think the, the most um, impactful final fight against... Ganondorf and Ganon in the series. It's amazing. And I thought that that was going to stand the test of time until Breath of the Wild. So uh, Zelda's my favorite series. I think Breath of the Wild is the best video game. Like, period, at the end of that sentence. There's, you know, I don't know how many video games in the world. I think that is the best one. And so that's sort of my de facto favorite video game and series right there. I want to speak to that for a second because, yeah, on our 3D Zelda retrospective we did back with Odell, uh, I said Twilight Princess was my favorite. I still stand by that Great today. Call. But I am replaying Breath of the Wild right now. I thought I was just going to play the Great Plateau again to scratch that itch, uh, but then I just kept going. And I yeah, told you not to do it. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. I am enjoying it more than I did six years ago. I really am. Wow. And I, I think that uh, 
I, I may have been giving it a bit of a too hard of a time over the last six years. I've always loved it, but it's always been mm-hmm. kind of lower tier Zelda for me. But I really think that it has a chance to become my favorite on this on this current playthrough. I'm playing in pro mode, and I've banned mm-hmm. fast travel. I'm not allowed to do fast travel. Oh, wow. Ooh. I think where Breath of the Wild started to fall apart a little bit for me was in that kind of latter half of the game where you're just ping-ponging all around the map from shrine to shrine, tower to tower to do the next thing. and it kind of loses that sense of discovery and adventure that it really had in those first 30-ish hours. And so by banning fast travel, like I just did the, the two shrines on the Twin Peaks, the the, the Dueling Peaks uh, mountains, mm-hmm. where there's uh, you have to match the puzzle from the one on the right to the one on the left and vice versa. And I didn't just fast travel back to the other one after I had uh, completed the puzzle with the other. I climbed back up that mountain and it was a struggle and it was kind of a little... Latin for punishment. I had. And it's, it's cool. I'm having a great time with that, so... Yeah, and yeah. Then I did all the side quests in Kakariko Village, which were fun, and yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. it. It does something that not a lot of video games, I think, do really well, which is it lets you replay it and have it be a different game. Um, so I've been doing a hero mode replay as well, and, you know, the first time I played it, I did sort of I would, what I would consider the standard path, right? You come off the plateau, you go past the Dueling Peaks, you go to Kakariko Village. I was like, no, I'm going to go visit, uh, like, I'm going to go get Rivali's Gale. I'm going to do all that stuff first. Basically, everything that I did, (laughs) pardon me, in my initial playthrough, I'm doing the exact opposite in reverse order. And it's been a completely different experience. And so it's like, I don't have, like, Mipha's Grace to easily heal me. Um, I don't have, like, the Master Sword. So I'm having to, like, make do with whatever weapons I find. But, like, I'm also bypassing a lot of climbing because I have Rivali's Gale so I can, you know, ascend rapidly. And I'm getting to places that I couldn't easily get to before. And it, it, it feels like a completely different game, even though I'm playing the exact same thing. Uh, and the, the ability to do that, the ability to say, OK, I'm going to play this and I'm gonna have a completely different experience intentionally. Not not many. How, games how many games can you say that? Yeah. Like, you know, back in the PS3 era, like they always talked about like games like Infamous <laughs> Star Fox Guard. Uh, games like Infam- Infamous would be like, you know, you have the hero path and the evil path. And it's like, yeah. really? It's the same game. You're yeah. just being a jerk or you're not <laughs> you want to play it in blue or red really is right. the question right <laughs> or a lot of games yeah. have the thing where it's like you you customize your character you pick a class at the start and then your class is different so then kind of the actions you're doing throughout the same path are different but there's yeah not many yeah. times where you can take a different path with that same link character so yeah it's cool i love it yeah exactly yeah it, it's it's the the sort of thing where um you know, when I think about the game, I, I don't think about a lot of particular like set pieces or like story beats necessarily. Like there's a couple Im- impactful things, but all I ever think about is like just the like the feeling of playing it and that just the moment to moment adventure. The way that I play it is like I go into a region and I live in the region. I experience everything there is to experience there. I get to know it like top to bottom and I check everything out. I don't always find everything. You know, you have to come back later, but it's unbelievably immersive and and the way that you can sort of like feel like you're living the life of people who live there because you see their their schedules like the of the day and night and you, the adventures that they go on you get wrapped in, up into it's it's the sort of game that you know when we were or at least when, when i was young it was what i imagined was happening in the games that i was playing like when i played the original legend of zelda on the super nintendo that's the headcanon i had for when i'm going like screen to screen uh and the fact that it it like realizes that to such an extent is unbelievable to me absolutely all right anusman said 
on and off this podcast about Breath of the Wild. I've also heard you're a big Mega Man X fan. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we we were talking about that. Um, You know, the the one contender that pushes the Legend of Zelda for me is Mega Man X. I I love the the series in totality, but in particular, the first two games. Uh, I'm actually I'm working on a piece right now about it that should go up at the end of the month. Um, sort of a retrospective on the original. Um, I I play that game at least three times per year. Um, I think that it has maybe the best soundtrack of all time in all video games. I think that the gameplay is sublime. Like I I don't I don't think there are many perfect games. I think the first Mega Man X is a perfect game. I can't think of a single thing about it I would change. The action is quick. It's tight. It's clean. You are very maneuverable. You have good firepower, but not perfect firepower enemy variety some some things you need to attack aggressively some you need to uh, stay away from uh, the bosses with a ton of personality and the way that they did personality back then using you know their colorful sprite work using very simple animations to convey like basic ideas to establish character that way rather than like cutscenes and exposition and things like that some of it is like absolutely filled in by that childish headcanon, but it's also validated by, you know, really deep instruction manuals with deep lore and backstory behind all these characters. Um, I think that not only is Mega Man X one of the greatest games of all time, I think that it low-key has one of the best stories of all time, which actually is kind of what I'm writing about. Very cool. And also, they just announced Minecraft DLC for Mega Dude. Man X this week, right? We hadn't heard about it prior to this week, which is crazy. Mm. And now you're here on the way yeah. this happens. Yeah, it's it's serendipitous, and like I'm I'm not a big Minecrafter. I dabble occasionally, you know. I have some some kids who get really into it, and like as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Well, here here I go on mining." Uh, the 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 integration is really cool too. You know, sometimes they they do these crossovers, right? And they'll drop some skins into it, maybe an object or two. And Mega Man X in particular has been uh, has cameoed in a lot of games before. Uh, most notably, Dead Rising Three. You could get the X Buster and like an armor if you completed under a certain time and things like that. Um, but what they're doing in this game is pretty deep. Like, not only do you have like you know you can play as X or Zero, they've built minecraft versions of several of the levels that you play through in either a first person perspective or 2d side scrolling and i haven't had a chance to get my hands on it yet but it seems like you switch between the two they've integrated uh, several of the bosses from the game uh an upgrade system between levels uh and a you know final showdown in a multi-tiered final level section like in the mega man and mega man x games against sigma the amount of thought and care that went into this is astounding and i mentioned the, the the soundtrack you know i think they meant they have like 14 tracks from the game into it i didn't even know that this thing existed and uh i didn't know that this was like the thing that was missing from my life uh, and i'm thrilled that it exists and i can't wait to dig in very cool yeah the sonic minecraft collaboration was very bad so mm-hmm. hopefully this one turns <laughs> out better. Um, yeah Justin, welcome to the boardroom. I want to talk to Chris, too, though. Don't want you feeling left out, Shriver. You've got some new plushies to show off, which I'm very excited I do. and jealous of. These are from the... Uh, for those uh, listening, I, I uh, ordered the Hobonichi Earthbound slash Mother 2 plushies uh, featuring all of the main protagonists from Earthbound uh, so Mother great. 2. Uh, yeah, so these were, these were sold uh, a while ago. Um, and they really haven't done a, a rerun of them. So they did an, another rerun um, on Valentine's Day. Um, 
it was Valentine's Day in Japan, but it was actually, I think, when I wrapped uh, maybe an episode of The Platformers. Like, I looked at Twitter and saw they were available. Um, and, yeah, I think the, yeah, the attention to detail is great. I love the, uh, you know, you have all the little sprite work on the box. They show you all the different locations uh, from the game. Um, but if, you, if you're an Earthbound or a Mother fan, um, definitely look at that store. They do ship to the U.S. No, and they have, like, gone. all kinds of, they're oh, are they gone? gone? So they well, no, 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 not the plushies, plushies, but they have other stuff on there, like T-shirts and, you know, all that cool stuff. Um, no, the plushies are sold out, though. They are, like, wildly exclusive. You look, If you look on eBay, they sell for, like, $400. Um, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I'm very it's a hot commodity. I saw the day the before least. they were going back in stock, and then I missed them by a couple minutes when it happened because mm. I was going to see them. Yeah, but at least I can look at them on Chris's camera. That's pretty behold. Nice. I don't know if I'm going to take them out yet. <laughs> the next best thing. Unbox yeah. them. Come on. Cameron. For now, for now, they'll they'll live in there until my, you know, 10 years from now when my basement's redone after <laughs> everything around me is redone. <laughs> Chris, Chris says that we know tonight is going to be you with all four of them just in your arms while you're in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Happy as could be. All right. Well, that was our very long introductory segment this week on the Toadstool Boardroom. We're a weekly Nintendo podcast. And uh, this week we're asking for you for your help, because if you're watching The Last of Us, then you know that all fungi wants to grow. And we also want to grow here on the Toadstool Boardroom. That was my joke, Chris, nice. that I thought you would hate. But I came that was adorable. No, that, I, I thought you were going to do a Star Fox thing. I love no. that. No, it very so, much. Yeah, we want to grow. So if you like the show, uh, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, leave us a rating. And here's a challenge for you, a challenge for you, dear listener. Tell one person, you know, about the Toadstool boardroom. And let's see if we can get uh, get this spreading across the country. It's not as devastating as what, what spread in The Last of Us. We're, we're much better force for the world. So let's see. Let's see if we can uh, if you can help us out. That would really appreciate it. But let's get into our main topics for this week. Logan. Yeah. Uh, we do have uh, a new listener to the Toadstool Boardroom that this, uh, sent in some. This is our listener mail. Do you want to wait or do you want to shout them out now? The of show that I crafted for you, you'd see that it's. Uh, I did not because I was getting my plushies out of the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Uh, That's fine. We can wait. Okay, we can skip ahead. We'll skip ahead. Uh, yeah. So last week we had an amiibo show. Uh, we had my friend TJ on to talk all about customizing amiibos. A lot of fun. And we asked you to send in your amiibo memories. And a new listener, Cody, wrote into the show at toadstoolboardroom at gmail.com. And Cody said, the Amiibo episode was my first time catching the show. It was very engaging. Thank you, Cody. Also, we've had two Codys write in. So this is a new Cody. This is not our old friend, Cody, who's also written in. I just wanted to say the variety of figures was my favorite aspect of Amiibo. Villains, mob enemies, and third-party sponsored Nintendo figures were not things I expected to see when they announced it. Sincerely, Cody. Yeah, that's cool. We got, what, Diablo, Monster Hunter, Cereal Box... There's a, there's a bunch of really... Shovel Knight? Shovel Knight? Oh, yeah, Shovel Knight. Yeah. I forgot those Shovel ones. Knight ones took forever to come out. Yep. Yeah. Justin, do you have any Amiibo? No, you know, so I, I specifically made a choice not to collect Amiibo. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I've, yeah. I've tried to get away from too much stuff, right? So I, I tend not to buy a lot of, like, uh, physical media nowadays. Um, I, I try and just have fewer things. That being said, and I'm not going to recommend this because this is let, let's call let's call it ethically dubious. Um, I did want to take advantage of a lot of the features, like specifically for Breath of the Wild, actually. Yeah. So I may have a bunch of NFC tags. 
<laughs> that are tagged as Amiibo. Yeah, I'm a filthy completionist. So the main reason I did it, too, is because there's a bunch of exclusive weapons tied to them that I wanted to take pictures of for my compendium because I'm a sicko. Uh, uh, and so uh, so that's what I have. And, you know, they've got attractive little pictures on them, but um, I, I, I very intentionally didn't. Because it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like you either... Ha- have none or few or you have to collect the whole set right or or you at least try and collect specific sets like i need the smash set i need the set from this game and like and i i did not want to end up fist fighting somebody in a walmart over ness yeah i'm gonna a lot of eight-year-olds got black eyes a couple years ago from uh this guy (laughs) right oh wow yep okay philly all right let's talk about Pokemon. There is a Pokemon Presents event uh, that will have happened by the time we record next week's show. So we'll be talking about all the announcements then. And it's scheduled for February 27th. It's going to air at 6 a.m. Pacific time, uh, and it's going to run for 20 minutes. Last year at this event, Scarlet and Violet was announced. This is usually where they announce the new Pokemon game for the year. Uh, And also kind of in the same vein, the latest update for Scarlet and Violet just dropped last week. And I need to read part of the patch notes for this because I think to me and I think Chris also will find this just absolutely insane. Yeah, this is a quote from the patch notes. We will address an issue that can cause the game to forcibly close at certain locations. As a result of this fix, there may be a reduction of Pokemon and people displayed in certain towns or in the wild. So when the game crashes, there's like, just just remove some assets from there. Just, just get them out of there. And it's like kind of how I'm feeling is like everyone's like, oh, are they going to announce the next Pokemon game next week? And how I don't know how I feel about them announcing their next game when the last one that they released is still in such a poor state. And I kind of think the Pokemon Company and Game Freak need to rethink this cadence of releasing a game every single year. So, Chris, I'll go your way first. What do you think? I'm hoping to God that it's not a mainline or a remake, like a, a, a let's go silver, yeah. let's go gold type thing. Um, they... Like I, I want them to. I just want them to be better. I say wearing a slow king hoodie. Um, Where's your Star like Fox shirt, man? I, dude, I thought you were gonna wear. That I know today. I was going to, and then I was like, I've worn that hoodie on so many episodes of this show, and this is so fresh. I just got this. I love it. It's like stitched in. Anyway, always keep them guessing. Oh yeah, it's got pokeballs on the sleeve. Nice. It's great. Um, yeah, it, it's just a shame. Like, and and I don't want to, you know beat a dead horse with this, but um, I get them. I get them trying to get the game to a point where it is like more stable. Um, and I, I hope, I hope that this change will introduce that. We also like, we said a similar type of thing when the last set of changes were introduced um, into the patch notes um, and whatever the, the last patch release was. Um, but this seems like it is a it's a quick and dirty and not a optimization. It's like they took dev leads into a room and they're like, all right, what's the easiest way that we can get people to calm down? And it's like, well, maybe the world isn't as dense as it, as it needs to be um, or, or as it is right now, uh, because of whether it's a memory issue or whatever. Um, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on at the back end of Pokemon because clearly they don't. Um it's just a shame like i and i don't want to you know keep belaboring something that i've gone on and on and on about but um i think it will be i don't know what's worse if 
them not fixing Scarlet and Violet and then announcing a new game doesn't mean that less people will buy the next one or the fact that they're not like they may not do it at all. This is the fastest song Nintendo game of all time, which is just absolutely bonkers to me. And I I will, I will sprinkle a little positivity on this discussion. I finished Pokemon Scarlet a couple weeks ago, finally, after putting it down for about a month. And I I did like the ending a lot. The end game is super cool. The last three hours is, is kind of bonkers. Uh, The story is like the craziest thing I think they've ever done in a mainline Pokemon game. Like it's fun. It's, it's a fun finale to this game. That being said, I stand by everything I said kind of on our review episodes of this thing, where I think that the open world design is fundamentally broken in terms of its leveling. I don't think Pokemon needs to be an overworld or an open world. And I think that the, I think that the technical issues are just unacceptable. And it's like, I'm not ready to see the next game. And if you go back to what they did for Sword and Shield, the year after we saw DLC for it, um, they did two giant area expansions for it. Um, so maybe it could be something like that that we see instead. But I really think the best way that they can buy some goodwill for Pokemon following Scarlet and Violet is announce the GBA games for Switch Online and the Game Boy games. When that, when those oh, that's right. People lost that's their good minds. Call. Yeah. I think right now, we, we've been talking about it on the show a lot, GameCube, Game Boy Advance, that stuff's really in right now. Like Advance Wars, Metroid Prime, all this stuff. Mm. We've been talking about a lot. If you throw Ruby and Sapphire or Fire Red and Leaf Green on Switch Online, man, people would go bonkers for that. That would be, I think, the best thing that can come out of this. So Game Explain has a video uh, that they released like shortly after the Nintendo Direct where um, they were looking at some of the trailers that Nintendo had released like across different regions. And one of them was uh, Japan. Um, and in that trailer that was, uh, showing off the virtual console, um, previously they would say, um, you know, certain features are not available, uh, within these games, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that tagline was not there. Um, and what they're speculating is that there's going to be, there's some sort of integration, uh, between a Game Boy game or GBA game, like whatever emulator that they built into the virtual console, or I keep calling it that, but yeah, Switch Online. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so that like if you, any Pokemon that you would raise within like Red or, or any of those GBA or GB games, um, you would hook be able to hook into uh, Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Stadium 2. Very cool. Yeah. So you've been calling for for like a year. I've been saying it for a long time. Like it's, it seems like a dead ringer, but like you also have to build an emulator that is able to do that on both ends, like sending and receiving. Which they did do for the 3DS ports. They had they had wireless trading between Red. They did. Yeah, Justin, what yeah, do you I think mean, we're going to see in the yeah. in the presents? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm cautious. I I'm with you. I I would hate to see this be another mainline Pokemon because. What it would tell me, and this this is going to be a very mean thing to say, but it, what it would tell me is that they're sort of following the Madden path, right? If we can like link it to another game series where, you know, you're you're you are a annual release, hell or high water, doesn't matter what state it's in, it ships every year, and if it's buggy and it's broken, there's some time to patch it. But you also hit a point I feel like where it's no longer viable or helpful to continue patching it, so you move on to the next game and you know pokemon's not there yet but you can see it right if if every release is a little bit more suspect iffy you can see the cracks forming and forming but you still no matter what it's got to come out it's got to come out that puts us in that exact situation and so i'm i am i'm i'm concerned about it it's one of those things where it's like 
don't tell me about the next course of the meal and until you get like the one in front of me like cooked like can we at least like agree on that um i i do i i I find it telling that like the main the main fix of the patch is they just thanos snapped like half of everybody away and they're like cool all right it's gonna run great now like that's that that seems like the the sort of solution that either you should have known before you released it um or is you giving up on a more broad optimization maybe at least temporary so yeah it it is it's it's concerning i i do think if the announcement is something a little bit more measured a little bit more specific like bringing back like bringing up these gba games like you selected i think that would be a positive thing you know uh people who like ports and emulation uh and new game developments a lot of overlap but they're not the same thing and there's a lot of different aspects that go into creating a new game versus doing that which me which tells me that you know the people who work on the mainline stuff are at least in theory still working on the game that's out and maybe in pre-production on the next thing we can expect things to get better if we're getting ports of something like fire red uh that, that we can play on like modern hardware and that has like great new features I think that's fabulous. I actually I looked into recently how much it would cost to buy a fire red cartridge. And that, so that's why I keep hopping on that one. Mm-hmm. 200 bucks if you want yeah. to play it today. Uh, not to like to say nothing of whether the battery's been replaced and if you're going to be able to actually like save your games in there. Uh, and so making something like that accessible, I think, would be a huge win. So that's what I'm hoping for. I don't know if that's what I'm expecting, because I, I do think we're going to stay on an annual release cadence. Um, somewhat pe- pessimistically um like if this is going, going to be an annual release derogatory um but yeah uh, my the, that would be my ideal though is is bringing stuff making it more acce- more accessible and continuing a really good recent trend of excellent ports and upreses and things like that yeah i think that we're gonna see i think it'll be a dlc expansion i, I remember there were Basically, the Pokemon company said when Sword and Shield came out, like, we're done with the third version. We're now doing mm. this DLC strategy. And I think the game on shelves this year will be the super overpriced bundle of Scarlet Violet plus its DLC. Because, like, yeah. it didn't get a price reduction at all. It was, like, 90 bucks for the physical copy of Sword with its DLC. But going back That's to what Every Nintendo about, game ever. Yeah. It's like, I don't think they've released a, a complete game on Switch like issue free since let's go like mm-hmm. you look at to sword and shield was had performance issues and was very content light in its story the remakes of diamond and pearl were a buggy mess there were so many issues in those games at launch and then legends arceus had performance issues that then scarlet ah, we love it anyway it's it fine i mean the best game in the world. snap was good i had a good time with pokemon yeah. snap yeah, 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 I'm talking just game free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but like that's that's it. It's like a a, a port or let's like in the, the case of like let's go a like a semi port, but kind of simplified, stripped down. Um, yeah, I mean they they haven't made a like pillar Pokemon game that has you know come out of the gates looking very hot. I mean, kind of on that, like what what other type of game would you want them to make at this point? Like oh, that no, has no. the Pokemon label on it. I want another mystery dungeon on Switch. I think th- I loved the remake of that game. Yeah, That's dang. a series that right. I grew up with. I was I was right in that age group when that, those games were coming out. I played them all. I loved them. And the remake was really, really good. But this, they remade the second best game in the series. The Explorers games were better than than the Rescue Team games. And so I think if they if they remade those, that would be a nice a nice surprise at the Pokemon Presents. 
What if Detective Pikachu two comes? Oh my! I was going to say that. That was going to be my. That was going to be my suggestion. I is, feel like we haven't heard about that in like as much time as we didn't hear about the Metroid Prime remaster mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. like you know between those directs. It was in the headlines like a month ago, and they're like, "It still oh, exists. really? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They said that it still existed, and that was it. So that could totally be now. Well, and it's also been about the right number of years since the movie came out, right? Yeah. For for that to be far along. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Just saying, lock it in. Lock, I like that. <laughs> That's what's yeah. happening. Yeah, Pokemon Sleep. I remember that. All right, we'll talk uh, more about the boardroom guarantee. Yeah, the the for Detective Pikachu two. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I'll call Mystery Dungeon people. There's been some rumors about that. I think it's real. Uh, and I'll say Scarlet Violet DLC. And I'll say they're not going to address the issues with Scarlet and Violet in this presentation. Agreed. Is lame. They should. But agreed. Right, let's move on. Other big story this week, and this one's really interesting to me. Uh, Microsoft signs a 10-year deal officially uh, to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. And this is on the contingent of if the Microsoft Activision Blizzard acquisition goes through, Microsoft locked into what Vice President of Microsoft Brad Smith is calling a binding 10-year contract to bring Xbox games to Nintendo's gamers. Here is part of the statement. Microsoft and Nintendo have now negotiated and signed a binding 10-year legal agreement to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo players the same day as Xbox, with full feature and content parity, so they can experience Call of Duty just as Xbox and PlayStation gamers enjoy Call of Duty. So that is, man, that's 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 insane. There hasn't been a Call of Duty game on a Nintendo platform in a decade. Call of Duty Ghosts on Wii U was the last time that we saw Call of Duty, and I can't even imagine how few copies of that were sold. It, it has to be, like, in the thousands. Um, yeah. So Call of Duty's coming back, and... This is an interesting story because this is something that if you host a PlayStation or an Xbox or a Nintendo podcast, this is relevant to you this week. But I almost think it's most interesting from the Nintendo perspective because from the Xbox perspective, they're doing everything they can to push this merger through. And they're like, hey, look, we're going to bring Call of Duty everywhere. Nintendo's on board. For PlayStation's perspective, it's like now the pressure's on them to get on this deal and what are they going to do about it? But for Nintendo, I've been thinking about it this week and I can't decide how big a deal it is to have Call of Duty back on Nintendo. Because part of me is like, this is the best-selling game every year. And then part of me is like, but people aren't going to play it here. So, Justin, what do you think of Call of Duty on Nintendo? Yeah, it's, it's funny. The whole s- scenario is like, mom and dad are fighting, so they keep buying you gifts. And that's kind of the position <laughs> Nintendo is in, right? Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, so truthfully, I mean, access to games is good. Like, that's just, that, that's full stop something that I believe. I think access to Call of Duty for Nintendo gamers is a good thing. That being said, the Call of Duties that we've seen previously have often been either low-quality ports, largely influenced by, by hardware, or we had a lot of, uh, like, Wii-specific, like, motion control versions, um, which, frankly, were were not great. Uh, I think... Flamethrower with the zapper. That's true. You get the little plastic peripheral. I mean, well, I remember the so commercial training. dudes, like... Dude's like ducking behind the couch, like can see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so like it's 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 kind of a catch twenty-two. I think it's good. I think it's a good thing. I think Call of Duty coming to Nintendo platforms is a good thing. Frankly, if Microsoft is treating Activision like a subdivision that's there to make money, right? More more so than a group of studios that are there to make software. And what better way to make money than to sell your software on hundred and eleven million switches, right? Uh, so it's it's a it's a, a good uh, decision for them, but it really is from a Nintendo's perspective. I think going to largely matter on the quality of what they get. 
Uh, can you make things that are properly optimized for the Switch? Do you have folks who know their know the hardware well enough to make it run well? We know some folks can get a lot out of it, but a lot of people can't. And so far, we just haven't had a chance to see that Activision and their studios are are people who can. Um, they talk about like you know feature parity and things like that. So does that mean that we are just talking ports? Um, are, or are they going to be purpose-built for the machine? So th- there's a lot that we don't know. Um, but just from a Nintendo perspective, there's no downside to popular video games being at least available on your platform. And for Nintendo gamers, even if you don't like Call of Duty and that's, that's not your thing, that's fine. Don't play them. Go play Splatoon. But know that this is an opportunity to introduce more people into the Nintendo ecosystem, which, again you know, rising tides lift all ships. Yeah, it's interesting because you kept talking about the Switch. I don't know if these are going to be on Switch because by the time this acquisition that's, goes through and, right, the, the and, annual and release cadence... That's the big question, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's over for Call of Duty. They're not going to pump one out every year. They've said that. That's what Phil Spencer said if this goes through. So it's yep. like, are we looking towards the next platform? Does Xbox know anything about Nintendo's next platform that makes them confident they can say, yeah, we'll bring a feature content parody game to Nintendo, like, do they know that Nintendo's going to have hardware to support that? I'm not saying this is going to happen. I don't think it is. But what if Nintendo's follow-up console is a Wii U again, and it sells 10 million units, and Microsoft's yeah. in this 10-year contract to keep pumping out Call of Duty on it? Like, there's just a lot of interesting ways this can go. Yeah, the, the, the only thing that I'll add to that, uh, besides the fact that Microsoft has infinite money, so that would be fine, is the fact that... It, I think we can also expect that whatever the successor to the Switch is, it's still going to be a much lower spec device versus its contemporaries. And so even if, you know, a Switch Pro or a new console drops, we're probably not looking at something that's going to have the horsepower of a PS5 or an Xbox Series X or whatever the pro versions of those that, that come out. So even with that in mind, I think that still leaves us, you know, wondering what quality of addition that we'll have on that. Uh Nintendo and Microsoft have a history of a really good working relationship for a lot of years, so I believe in them to work these things out. Uh, and for a franchise as big as Call of Duty, it wouldn't be completely shocking to see them at least kind of tilt some spec to, towards making that possible if they're in that production stage. Um, but no, that's the, I, that's a fabulous point about new hardware, though. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it's either... It was like you look at the the Overwatch uh, port that they did yeah. on the Switch, and like nobody is really happy about it, but like it does exist. Like it is a feature to feature, you know, port of that game. And same with Overwatch too. Um, you can say the same about Apex Legends uh, from EA. Um, but like n- there aren't many. I feel like the people that are playing that are the people that don't have it to play on any other platforms. It's like, well, I have a Switch, and this is my only choice. It's not that it's your first choice. Um, so I feel like there's one of two ways. Well, one of three ways they go about it. It's either uh, it's not necessarily game pass, but there's like some sort of cloud version available because mm-hmm. they, we've seen them do that with Square Enix and Capcom and a couple other third parties. Um, there's a super like, all right, turn the scales way down um, mm-hmm. port on the switch. Um, or we get one that, you know, is, with the Steam Deck, it makes it interesting because, like, you know, Call of Duty is looking at that thing and going, I wonder if we can, or Activision is looking at that thing and going, can we get this to run, you know, within a Linux environment and everything like that? And really, parity wise, it's not too different. Um, I mean, you're going Android to Linux, um, but 
if they're looking at the Steam Deck, then those conversations have to be happening of like, all right, just how powerful, what are the specs of this thing going to be? Just how powerful is it going to be? Um, and if you do get a native port, like, is it, is it up to snuff? Um, yeah. Time will tell, but that feature parody part, the fact that they mentioned that is like the key thing. Cause originally when I heard about it, I was like, Oh, they're just going to port like, Call of Duty 2. Cod Mobile the Switch. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I, Cod I, Mobile yeah. was the other yeah. one. Yeah. 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 If it's just that that Android port, then like, mm-hmm. all right, sure, it's there, but it's like porting PUBG or any of the other ones. Like, yeah. who really cares? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I always thought it was just gonna be like, oh, Warzone's on Switch. And that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um yeah. another thing we could bring up here that hasn't been mentioned yet, cloud versions. It could easily be cloud versions. For 10 years. Yeah, yeah, it, it, honestly, I think just from a Nintendo perspective and probably Microsoft perspective too, like if this did lead to just a cloud client that lets you access Game Pass titles on your Switch device and, oh you know. Oh boy, you know, that would be something. I don't think it will. I, I, but, you know, so you start paying Microsoft your 15 bucks a month or whatever, but right. you can play it on that device. So like Microsoft has been upfront, like they don't care about selling hardware. They've never been a hardware company. They're a soft, they're, they're Microsoft, not micro hard, right? Uh nice. Uh, you know, if that be right. Uh, thanks. I, I've been workshopping that one. Uh, if if they, you know, if, if that is something that like does potentially come like down the pike because they have this relationship and because frankly, Microsoft, in terms of like cloud gaming, they have much better infrastructure than what Nintendo has been using uh, for games in the past. So it could actually it could be a good end user experience, even on the existing Switch hardware, if they get their ducks in a row. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a kind of a Trojan horse for booting up to an xbox logo on your switch sometimes for people who want to the only reason i don't see that happening is you have you have games that are available and it's mostly in the indie space which like i think switch kind of thrives on a little bit Mm -hmm. like nintendo loses out on those sales at that point um oh yeah for sure and i mean there's there could get messy if there's a game that's available for switch but also on game pass yeah that's what i mean consideration to things like that yeah no for sure there's there's, there, there are other there are. boardrooms, believe it or not, that these conversations <laughs> could probably happen in. Yeah, we were the only one. Yeah, the only boardroom. Yeah. <laughs> or there's different games on PC Game Pass than on Xbox Game Pass. So maybe there's a Switch Game Pass that Switch has Game Pass. Yeah. In there. I could totally yeah. see them doing that. Yeah. Because part of this statement and part of the GeForce Now is they made a deal basically the same day that they're going to bring Xbox games to GeForce Now. Is that it's not just Call of Duty. It's to bring Xbox games to Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch. That was one of the first things here, to bring Xbox games. So it's not just Call of Duty. And I think that Call of Duty is obviously the centerpiece of this conversation because it's what Microsoft is pushing hard because that's kind of the main IP that I think is keeping regulators from just giving the stamp of approval on this deal. But I don't know. Xbox games, like, we could see other stuff that's more appealing to a Nintendo audience land find its its way on switch. And there's already some of that, like Minecraft legends, um, Minecraft dungeons, Minecraft itself. Those are all Xbox games that are on switch. Banjo Kazooie is just pointing out right now is on switch online. Yeah. Let's get nuts and bolts port nuts and bolts on Nintendo switch. Yeah. Uh, Why? That's, You're getting that's, nuts and bolts uh, in May. That's true. Yeah, I mean, Chris, <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> I quit. Right. That is, that's our Xbox. Call of Duty Nintendo discussion. It's interesting. I will say, I think there's games in development for the next hardware right now. I think that there's got to be some devs that know what's going on with Nintendo's next hardware. Because if you think about, like, we heard Dragon Quest XI, uh, Project Sonic 2017, which turned into Sonic Forces. All these things had, like, NX logos at the time. So I, I think that's starting to ramp up now where Nintendo's probably telling its 
closest trusted development partners what's going on in their next hardware. But that's for another time. For now, we're going to talk uh, some quick news PSAs before we get into Star Fox. Splatoon 3 Expansion Pass Wave 1 is here on February 28th, so it'll be out uh, the next time that we record. And this is Wave 1 of the expansion that lets players return to Splatoon 1's Inkopolis. That's the hub world from Splatoon 1. I'm laughing because Chris and I talked about that on a former episode, and he did not really get what that was. Uh, and it costs $24.99 for the expansion pass. And you cannot buy a Wave 1 separately. If you buy any of it, you're in for all of it. So, yeah, interesting. Interesting strategy on this DLC. And then Zelda Tears of the Kingdom art book has leaked. Be careful out there. I've muted every word I can imaginable on Twitter, including Link. So I'm seeing, like, tweets that's like, oh, this includes a word you muted. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with Zelda. I click and it's like, Link here. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> or, I didn't even think about that when I muted that word. But we're not talking about any spoilers here. Um... Yeah, I, I know enough about Zelda, which actually made me wondering. I see a lot of people and, and some other podcasts I listen to saying basically like, oh, wow, they haven't shown enough about Zelda. We don't know what this game is. And they're kind of phrasing it in a negative way, where to me, it's a positive way because I'm like, I'm thrilled. I don't know what it is. So, uh, Chris, what do you think? Do you want to know more or are you happy? Uh, I'm happy with where we're at, but I. I've become this way, like as time has gone on, where especially like since I I, I left IGN, um, being able to have just enough to pique my interest and know as little as possible is like the perfect sweet spot that I want to be with most things at this point. Um, the it's way more enjoyable to be genuinely surprised by something when I'm playing or watching it than it is to like know everything going into it. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is when this is going to happen. Like it, it just takes some of the fun out of it or I'm expecting something. Whereas with this, it's like, I feel like we've seen enough new features and tool sets and locales. Um, but there are still enough questions in the air, um, to keep everything, you know, exciting when it happens. Yeah, what do you think, Justin? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think people are quick to forget what the Breath of the Wild lead-up was like, but it was a lot of similar conversations. Like, we had a very, very short uh, initial teaser where, like, there was a debate whether or not that was even Link in, the, in like, the trailer. Like, that that's that's how, like, tight everything was. And then radio silence for, like, years at a time. And it, and it was a very similar slow trickle of information. Every time any trailer dropped... We dissected it, and I will say Tears of the Kingdom feels like it's been in development for approximately a thousand years. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I can understand a certain level of fatigue, but this is how they approached it before, and it was perfect. We ended up surprised and delighted by what it was. Even when we finally got our hands on it, we didn't entirely know what we, we were going to experience going in. I think there's m maybe a little bit of... There, there was the period where we received the final launch trailer. And uh, the launch itself, right? That that little window where we learned a lot more about the game from that. And it, frankly, it was because the launch trailer was maybe the greatest trailer of all time. Uh, it was like five minutes long. It like hit all sorts of different beats, amazing swell of music. And we got to hear like Zelda's voice for the first time. And so it was like, it did a really good job giving everybody a taste of every little thing that they've been like waiting for, but without giving stuff away. I, I don't know if it's going to be as good, but... I, I have to believe that they're going to hit us with the same thing when we get really close to launch. That last little bit where it's like, yes, here's everything you're asking for. We're not going to give it to you, but we are going to give you just as much to make you crave it more. And then you can sit and wait. Now, th this is the playbook, and they're executing it to perfection. 
Yeah, I think we're going to get a Zelda Direct. I do. We got a Xenoblade 3 Direct, and we got a uh, Splatoon 3 Direct. I think that this game is that big, that they're going to give it one, and they're going to show some gameplay for the first time. We don't. We haven't seen what this game plays like. Uh, we know what it plays like. And I, it, I, I think, uh, don't quote me on this, especially because I don't, hopefully it's not covered by, by an NDA somewhere. Um, I think we're expecting a Nintendo presence at PAX East. And we don't know exactly what that is. Like, we don't know specifically what they're going to be advertising. You know, at PAX West, it was a big Bayonetta pr- uh, presence. Um, here, the most logical thing is Nintendo. Uh, you know, I've uh, uh, I've worked with Nintendo. I work in the live events industry, so I've worked with Nintendo directly on, like, live events before in the past. And usually, like, there's a lot of big set build and a lot of pieces they build. I, uh, I remember when they launched um, their remake of um, the... The Game Boy uh, Zelda. Um, Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. I would say the Windfish, but that's not it. Um, like they had a whole diorama built and a lot of really cool features and things like that. Uh, things that that take time could slip, and and so I would not be shocked if we saw a very large presence at PAX East about it. Now, don't ha- let that be your decision maker to go buy tickets. I, I don't know specifically what it's going to be, but it's about the right time frame. I, I do think there is still a large promotional push that's going to happen but it's still going to be something that is very contained and doesn't give everything away and we're frankly a month out from it just from a a timeline standpoint i think that everyone at pax east will have a great time uh getting their hands on bayonetta origins that's what i think (laughs) i think that people will have a blast uh playing playing that but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Every trailer we've seen, I walk away with more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want for me personally. That's it. As is all the super yeah. fan who knows who I'm going to sink hours into this game and love it. And I mean, if you need like a resume, just look at Breath of the Wild. Like, that game's amazing. And we're getting a sequel to it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And even God of War Ragnarok, there were a lot of questions. And then like a month before they were like, stay to play about it. Yep. And then there it was. So, yep. I don't want to see any more. And I don't really want to talk about anything new that comes out because i probably won't watch it so if we don't talk about new zelda trailers here that's why but we'll see i'm undecided and then last uh, bit of quick news there's going to be a mario movie direct on march 9th with the final trailer and nothing else so look forward to that that it's going to be mario day march 10th i roll in japan uh the, <laughs> the day that 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 trailer drops i mean i roll it's, it's so silly man what a, it's what so a- cute it's such a contrived holiday. Ah. <laughs> like to have Mario's birthday, like the day Mario came out. But I guess no one knows the day that Mario came out. And they, uh, it, it's not really a day. It's like a week yeah. or two. Like a month long period. <laughs> yeah. Some stores had it, some didn't. Yeah. This is when it showed up. Wake me up on Luigi Day. Year yeah. Luigi. It's the 10 year anniversary of the year of Luigi. We're doing a show about it at some point, by the way. <laughs> yes, I am super in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the only ones that remembers the year of Luigi. 10-year anniversary. Let's talk about a 30-year anniversary, though. This is for Star Fox. 30 years ago, the original came out on the Super Famicom in Japan. That's February 21st, 1993. Uh, It spawned a number of sequels. Star Fox 64, Star Fox Adventures on the GameCube, Star Fox Assault on the GameCube, Command on the DS, Star Fox 64, 3D on the 3DS, Star Fox Zero and Guard came out together on the Wii U in 2016, and Star Fox 2, the canceled SNES game, made its way to existence on the super nintendo classic in 2017 and he's got a large presence in smash brothers and there's a nintendo land is there a nintendo land star fox game no i don't know if there is i don't think so there's metro i don't think there is what the what's up with that anyways 
But we're here to talk about Star Fox's 30th anniversary. I'll start. I don't love, have much love for this franchise. I know you guys enjoy it a lot more than I do. I've played Star Fox 1. I've played Star Fox 64, 64 3D, uh, and, and Zero. And it's, it's just never personally clicked with me. I get the appeal of the originals and how groundbreaking and cool they were at the time. But something we're going to talk about later on in this discussion is I think that they just started spinning their wheels a little bit and doing the same thing over and over that they started that they started in Star Fox, perfected in 64, and then I think it's all been kind of downhill from there. So we'll talk about that more later, but I'll throw it over to you guys. Justin, what do you love about Star Fox? I love a lot about Star Fox, honestly. So I was exactly the right age when Star Fox came out for it to be a very, very big deal. I distinctly remember, you know, we were just talking about a marketing push. There was an enormous marketing push for Star Fox. Everything from, like, the characters in commercials to promoting the Super FX chip uh, as this revolutionary uh a uh, new chip to get uh, 3D polygons, which was actually accurate. Um, I, I remember, like, uh, you could, like, it being on the back of cereal boxes. I remember you could get a one of those, like, LCD video games of Star Fox Auto Watch out of a cereal box. Like, it was, the promotional push was enormous. And this was one of those cases where it nailed it. Like, we hadn't seen anything like this, which uh, offered, even though it was an on-rail shooter, a lot of freedom of movement in a 3D space. Um, and, you know, it what it didn't use the mode 7 graphics like we would use in, like, a lot of Mario Kart or when you're in the overworld, the Secret of Mana and things like that. Uh, no, like, it really felt like you were flying through these environments, and it had really cool, imaginative, you know, uh, enemies. Sometimes they were ships, sometimes they were creatures, and it felt fast, especially, you know, as you move, like, horizontally doing things like barrel roles and like picking up power-ups and things like that the original star fox today is an amazingly playable and very fun game with an incredible soundtrack especially the opening track on corneria where you start the game uh, it was one of those games where like as a kid everybody would also like it on the playground you would spread rumors oh you can get into the black hole no you can't well actually you can and i learned about that because i read it, read it on the back of a cereal box uh uh and it was it was honestly revolutionary. It, it was a unusual case where Nintendo worked primarily with Western programmers to create the, the tech behind it. And the Super FX chip is an actual chip that they originally tried to see if could be integrated into the Super Nintendo itself, but then opted to actually make it part of the cartridge. Uh, and so when you see that little logo on a cartridge for that or F-Zero, which also had the chip, that wasn't just like marketing speak. There literally was an additional chip to unlock additional ability and power in the console. So how and, much more expensive did that make the cart at the time to buy? Was it oh, more? Uh, I don't recall it being more expensive. I didn't have a lot of money as a kid. My mom bought it for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with it. It was probably fine. Um but so like, but as a result, as a result, we ended up with uh with a game that like nothing else could do, and um, the the fact that they they followed up with a sequel on the Nintendo sixty four that like like Zelda before it and like Mario before it somehow navigated that jump to like full three D environments, including levels where you were like disconnected, fully free in three D. Mind blowing! It's a it's an amazing franchise, and it's had a lot of missteps since then, but it's. It's, I think, one of like the tentpole franchises, and one of the things that, when I say that the Super Nintendo is my favorite console of all time, Star Fox is one of the reasons why. Yeah, one thing also that I do really love about Star Fox is that I think it's very cool that 
the design of the characters and the ships still today was informed by the technical limitations of the Super Nintendo and that chip. Like, just these very angular, polygonal, <laughs> the R-Wing, like, it still pointy. today looks like it belongs in the SNES N64 era. And that's something that I think is very, very cool. I think that is that's something we've lost a little bit as we get further along into advanced technology and things like that with game development. It's like, man, a lot of the things that uh, that you love about like classic games are because of like limitations. Like Mario's mustache is because they wanted his face to be visible, and Link is left-handed because it was easier for them to develop that way. And it's like there's just these crazy stories like I'm, that, and 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 Star Fox is one of them where like I think the R-wing design is just classic, and it's because it originated then when it had to look like that. I think it's yeah, like, I don't. I'm a big believer in the idea that confines create creativity, that, you know, yeah. being presented with a problem and having to find a solution is good for the creative process. And that's a great example of it. And like it, it seriously could have just been a tech demo. You know, eventually you get through the game and like spoilers for 1993, but you face off against the boss, which is this giant head that spits these rotating tiles at you that are like scaling to size. If you die and end up on the continue screen, there's a model of the R-ring that you can spin and look at it fully 3D. You can zoom in, zoom out. It would do this thing where you could copy it, it would copy itself infinitely, make patterns out of it incredible technology it was mind-blowing at the time and uh it, it is i remember literally like having friends over and just playing on the continue screen like we'd play to get to the continue screen so we could just like screw around with the model chris what are your some of your memories of Star Fox? uh it it's a so one of the real quick one of the earlier questions was what did it sell for at launch it was 59.99 at electronics boutique Per an ad that I just found on the internet, and you don't think Tears um, of the Kingdom is worth seventy? You, you people, come on. <laughs> yeah, this is in nineteen ninety three. Sixty bucks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the original Star Fox I actually didn't play until I was in college. Uh, when my wife and I started dating, um, she got me a, a Retron Five, and it was like the first kind of like console other than a Super uh, Nintendo that you know I could play Super Nintendo games on, like just a clone console. Um, which now that console became very controversial, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, but I remember like, I, I always appreciate very old, uh, old technology and where, um, technology kind of comes from. Um, and like the, the development story, um, behind the original star Fox and the way that they made it, um, you know, always really, like, I always had like a, a respect for it in that way. Um, and it's like, this is the showcase for this new chip for the Super Nintendo. Um, if you're at all interested in anything like that, um, there's a Netflix documentary called High Score where they go through the development process of uh, Super Nintendo Star Fox. Um, you should definitely check it out. And then there's also a new ROM hack that is out that is like, will we'll blow your mind um, if you are into that kind of thing um, called Star Fox EX. And basically what it is is like a, a fan director's cut that supports full po supports four-player multiplayer. Um, you can select different ship models and things like that. Like they've taken everything that they can out of the Super FX ship and just squeezed everything out of it. Um, added new levels. Um, you can fight like and change the, the character models. So like you fight like a giant Mario and a giant Luigi. Like it's just really, really cool stuff. Um, but as far as like the my love of star Fox in general, like I think it's the perfect playground game. It's the perfect game. It it was the perfect game at an age where like the internet wasn't really that big. Um, 
where you would talk to other people and be like, oh, well, I got to, like, I see all these other planets on this map. I don't understand how I'm supposed to get there. And I keep playing this game over and over again. Um, and the same could be said about 64. Um, and when you start to chip away at those layers, and because the game is so replayable, um, it really does, like, it just becomes addictive. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the missions are pretty hard, especially when for younger players. Um, like, now I can breeze through 64, no problem. But when I was growing up, it was like, it was a feat if you got to Andros. Like, that was a big mm. deal. Like, you had a good day that day. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, 64 was, like, the main one. I don't know how I remember as much of it as I do, but, like, I was three and a half, four years old when that game came out. Um, and I remember the day my brother got it. It came in this giant box, the Rumble Pack. Um, we never had a Rumble Pack before, like, in a, a video game console um it's just it was always a a representation of like nintendo saying for at least in the the early days it was this like we're going to try this new crazy thing and, and and see how how we can implement it um and and make a new experience for you um like it was always kind of treated like this flagship title in that way um so i think for me that's why i've always like even say what you will about star fox zero but like it is a very unique case of like, we built this entire game around the Wii U gamepad. Mm -hmm. um, if you have the Steam Deck, I highly recommend, and you own a copy, a legal copy of Star Fox Zero, download Simu and play it on the Steam Deck. It's probably the best way to play that game. Um, I will stand by that till the day I die. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's a shame that, I'd say you know, like actually the best way to play Star Fox Zero. I think co op in that game is actually pretty fun. With one I never person got controlling to play a gun and one person flying the ship. It's it's cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, that game has problems, but like it's it's pretty, pretty good on uh, Steam Deck. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's such a it's such a comfort food game for me. Um, Something that is so easy to revisit. Um, And you can see the entire thing all the way through. Like in yeah. that experience, the, the fact that you could experience the entire thing in one sitting I think is additive to it, really. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I, I opened this up by saying I'm not big on Star Fox. I respect I respect the series a lot. I think it's cool, and I wanted to touch on something Chris brought up. I was thinking this before is I think that Star Fox is is so cool for people that did grow up with it when it was new and coming out, uh, and 64 as well. Because like you said, in age before the internet was what it was now. And you had to discover these secrets for yourself and talk to your friends about these secrets. Like, no one that comes to mind is like the first level in 64. If you if you fight the bogeys that are attacking Falco and then fly underneath all the arches, right? Then that that branches you off to the other path. And it's like, I can I didn't have the experience of how cool that was to just discover because I'd listen to a podcast where they said it. Like mm. I just did to you. Sorry, everyone. Like, or you'd see it on Twitter or you'd see it on a guide. And it's yeah. like, when you strip that discovery away, it's like, just replaying this two hour game a different way with a guide pulled up. And it's like, it's, uh, it's just, it's just, not it's not the same. same. I remember my cousin doing that for the first time and we, none of us had seen it before. And like, we had never seen that boss fight before. Mm -hmm. um, we were down the shore at my uncle's shore house and like, we all lost our minds. Like, what do you mean? This is how you do it. You know, it, <laughs> it was really exciting. Yeah, and it's a different type of game, too, because, like, yeah, Zelda on NES has all these secrets, like, oh, bomb this wall to do this. But with Star the, the on-rails nature of Star Fox, it's like, 
oh, if you don't get it, you missed it. Like you have to do it again. You have to start over to go and and play this song the right way, basically, to unlock this this different thing. And I do think that's a really cool aspect of it. But there's just a lot about Star Fox to me that just kind of makes it a product of its time. And we talk about 64. I agree, 64 is great. The 3DS remake is awesome. I really like that game. But I just don't think that the franchise will ever... I think it's peaked. I don't think there will ever be a Star Fox game that you guys say, yep, this is better than 64. I just don't think it's going to happen because I think that Zero, when it came out, the entire conversation was, oh, $60 for a four-hour game and all this stuff. And I think that in today's day and age, that's always going to be the discussion around Star Fox, if they even ever do revisit it at all. It's like, well, how do you do it in the modern context where the internet exists, the, the way to discover these secrets is not talking on the playground like it used to be, and people expect more length out of their full price games. I just don't know how you do it. I, I don't know how I, you bring Star Fox back. I think a lot of the problem with the Star Fox franchise since then, and I, I, I think it frankly hasn't been great since then, um, is that they've sort of lost the identity of what Star Fox is and why people yeah. liked it in, in the first place. You know, it, it, as much as like we have like Fox and Falco in like Smash and stuff, it's not really about their story. Like he's it, he's not a tentpole mascot, even though he's like a cool looking character. Uh, it, it's about the action and the tech and what it does. What what a future Star Star Fox should <laughs> got my Starbucks right here. What is what a future Star Fox like really should should be doing is trying to recapture that. Like uh, if you can release something that is similar to what we're seeing with like. Um, the Metroid port, like a unusually beautiful game, a technically impressive game, something that stands out uh, for the quality of its tech that also, you know, leans into, uh, you know, speed and leads into, you know, f- the, f- the freedom of flight and is full of moments that create those stories, right? You know, not not something with very bespoke levels where you get from point A to point B, which is largely what Star Fox became after that. Um, but something where, you know, you you want to experience it again and again. And similar to our conversations earlier about Breath of the Wild, where, like, you want to try it a different way and see if you can approach it in another way and see what happens. Give me a beautiful-looking space shooter where I don't turn into a chicken robot and I don't beat up people with a bow staff and uh, make it something that is incredible to look at plays really well and gives me a reason to to come back to it over and over and over again. And I think you have a winning formula that will work in 2023. I feel like they there were things that were introduced within Starlink, which like if for those that don't remember, there was like there was a Ubisoft game in the early mm-hmm. early in the Switch's life cycle uh, called Starlink that uh, it had like its own Star Fox missions and campaign. You could play the whole game as uh, Fox McCloud. Um, and there were certain mechanics within that game that I think would work really well within a Star Fox game, like like traversing. That game did the No Man's Sky thing, I think, better than No Man's Sky, and I don't think it ever got credit for it. Where you would land on a pl- like you would land on a planet, but you were legitimately like landing on a planet, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you would like traverse that planet as like a different type of of a uh, vehicle. Um, but it had like the chicken problem where you're going around right. and. Yeah, you know, you're flying around like in this like horizontal kind of cockpit, almost like the Arkham games, like uh, yeah, the I, tank. I don't want to drive a tank in Star Fox. No, I, I want to like, fly an 
Yeah, exactly. Like that. That's what I want. And like, yeah, I think like Starlink is is a great example because like it it was it was like a toys to life game. But if you had the R wing toy, you got to fly an R wing, and all of a sudden it's Star Fox and it's rad, right? I I I think that like honestly, if that basically that game were built like ground up just as a Star Fox game with no additional peripherals or things like that. I think there's a chance that it would have resonated with people. And I, I think if anything, it's proof that there is something still there. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see it come back. I mean, I'd like to see, I never want to see a Nintendo franchise go dormant. Like I just never want that. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here waiting for F zero to come back, um, which absolutely needs to happen. I got Metroid prime remastered today and I'm like, Oh my God, if they made a $40 HD remaster of GX, it would be the greatest day of my life. Like I, I think about that. I can't Metroids really make me think about that, but Star Fox also, I think that I'd like to see them take another crack where there's just not some weird gimmick attached. Like we all know adventures basically isn't Star Fox. It started life as something else and was repurposed. And then it's, assault, yeah. what it had all the on foot stuff that I think people were really did. The controls in that game are really bad, but I don't, yeah. I don't think that that's assaults fault. I think yeah. it's like, a lot of twin stick stuff on the GameCube really, really suffered. Um, and that game is like the prime, like a prime example of like how twin stick was not figured out yeah. at that point. And then command had like the, you trace your path on the DS and I don't know. Command was like an RTS type. Yeah. It's, it's been nothing but gimmicks for yeah. 20 years 20 now. Years? Yeah. 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 So I'd, I'd like to see it come back in some sort of capacity that, and, and, I don't know, because it's like, yeah, you want to please a bunch of new fans, but I don't know how you do that, because I think Star Fox is an arcade on-rail shooter. And I'll stand by that Kid Icarus Uprising's on-rail levels are better than anything Star Fox has ever done. Um, so maybe they could look there for some inspiration. But the, the, only, the only thing that I want to point out is Star Fox is also one of the coolest secret Easter eggs in The Legend of Zelda uh, Ocarina of Time. There's there's an R-Wing in that game. Yeah, that's that's cool. Look up that video if you haven't. It's, <clears> it's super cool. It's like it, it's in there because they were like using it to as a proof of concept yeah. of the Z-targeting. We, 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 yeah. we, we need something to Z-target and track. What do we got? Uh, I got this R-Wing. Yeah, yeah shove it in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's super, super cool. There's a uh, real quick. There are two games uh, to look out for. Um, one of them is only on PC right now, um, and it's still in early access. It's called X Zodiac. Um, if you're a fan of Star Fox, like traditional Star Fox games, like where you're in the R wing, um, you know, level by level, I highly recommend it. Um, it's uh, I think there's like six or seven levels, and then uh, each one is like a bonus level that's um, similar to. I want to say like Legend of Dragoon, but I don't think that's right. Um, it's like a Neo Geo game. Anyway, that game is excellent. I, I replay that like pretty consistently. Um, and then Nintendo Life actually wrote an article on a game that uh, is coming out on March 17th. Um, it's called Fur Squadron, um, <laughs> which sounds, is like, sounds familiar. yeah, it's like unapologetically like a Star Fox clone. Um, but it, it, I mean, it looks like old school Star Fox uh, with a, um like retro wave type of vibe um it's cool. being listed at six dollars six dollars and 29 euros whatever that is six euros six pounds whatever okay. uh so it's going to be like seven or eight bucks in the u.s whenever it comes out cool yeah all right that was our journey through the lilac system star fox send in your star fox thoughts toadstoolboardroom at gmail.com and that is our show i want to tease ahead to next week though because We've got an exciting show next week. We're going to be talking about Metroid Prime Remastered, which I finally got physical version. 
It's very nice. It has the alternate cover of the Japanese cover in there. I have Metroid Dread in there right now because I don't organize my games well, as well as oh. I should. I know. Uh, or I'm getting a Kirby this weekend. Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe is out on Friday, and I'm going to be playing through that multiplayer. I'll have some impressions on that. Chris is headed to the Nintendo New York store, and he's going to be talking about that. W- what you looking for, yes. Chris? Uh, what baby? So baby stuff. Um, anything I can buy for my upcoming child? Um, they little have yeah. the little Logan, the best pair of sweatpants. I have ever owned in my life and my wife has ever owned in my life. And she was a college athlete. So like, if she's saying it, you know, it's true. Um, <laughs> so we're going to buy fresh new sweatpants. Cause the ones that we have, we got like eight or nine years ago. And I know they still sell them. Cause I have a friend that lives in New York and she, she borrowed my wife's pair and was like, these, I have to get these. And we told him where to get them. She couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, awesome. so yeah, I'm going to get new sweatpants. Uh, any Metroid like merch, um, uh, yeah, I usually, I drop a, a buck or two in the Nintendo store whenever I visit. Um, but every time I go, like they, they rotate things, uh, out enough that it keeps it interesting. Um, probably not any plushies. Um, I think I'm past that point. Um, <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> yeah, probably not any plushies, but, uh, yeah, definitely some, some shirts and, if they have any of those like World of Nintendo figures, uh, I would love to get some of those. And then, of course, if there's any F-Zero stuff, uh, I don't expect there to be, but if there is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yep. Look out. I'm, I'm obsessed these days. And-, and Justin, if there's anything that you're uh, you know interested in. You know what? I've had my eye out. They do it on Amazon occasionally. Those little like like, like about that big Metroids. Hey, yeah. if, you, if you snag me one of those, man. Oh, I'll ki- yeah, I'll, I'll be on the lookout for sure. And I, I have a question for the audience that I want them to answer on Twitter at ToadstoolBR, at ToadstoolBR, excuse me, or email ToadstoolBoardroom at gmail.com. And I was thinking about this because of Metroid Prime. We're going to have a big talk about Metroid Prime. I started it. I was almost late getting ready for the show because I could not stop playing it. It controls like a dream. It's everything I wanted. I, Justin, I've never finished the original because I just hate how it controls. I, I just can't stand it. So I'm, I've, I'm loving it. It's a baby. It. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Product of your time. Not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> then I was thinking that with Metroid Prime, like the big three classic Nintendo series, that's Mario, Zelda, Metroid. Now I'll have a 2D entry and a 3D entry on Switch. So I want to ask you guys, you can you have a week to think about it. Which of them has the best 3D, 2D, one-two punch available on Switch? Not one-two switch, one-two punch. So here are the choices. Uh, Metroid's got Metroid Prime Remastered, Metroid Dread. Great. Great set of games right there. Uh, there's two. There's a couple options for Mario. Um, for 3D, I went with Odyssey. It's the best one. I love 3D World and Bowser's Fury, but Odyssey is better. Uh, and then between Maker and U Deluxe, I went with U Deluxe just because it's a it's classic 2D Mario. It's Maker. I don't know. It, it's not really mainline in my opinion. Chris is making a face at me. I thought I couldn't decide. If you if you want to use Maker, use Maker. It's your choice. Uh, and then. And then for Zelda, obviously, we've got Link's Awakening and Skyward Sword HD. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I was like, is he? No. Is no. he serious? No. I, I thought I'd get you with that, Chris. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting question. Like, we now have 2D, 3D of all these series. Um, they all do it in very different ways. Like, I was kind of thinking about Zelda is like Link's Awakening and, and, and Breath of the Wild are very different games. Like, Link's Awakening is classic, linear, dungeon-based 
Zelda and then Breath of the Wild. We talked about a lot on the show about what it is. And then Mario U Deluxe's platformer get to the goal, um, linear, and then Odyssey is these open area collectathon. But then Metroid's a little bit similar. I don't know, Dread is like badass Samus and then Prime feels like Detective Samus, which is super cool. Like they are different in that way. But they're they're still kind of at the end of the day, like 10 to 15 hour Metroidvanias. So yeah, take your pick. What's the best one-two punch of 2D, 3D, Mario, Zelda, Metroid? And we'll talk about it next week on the show. It's like choosing my favorite child. I know. It's a good question. I yeah. Was, I, was, I was proud of myself when I came up with that. But that is, <laughs> good. that's another episode of the Toadstool Boardroom in the books. We're a weekly show here on Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can email us, answer that question, toadstoolboardroom at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at toadstoolbr. I almost forgot. I promised an answer in the Star Fox segment to why I have nine copies of Star Fox card. <laughs> and I did not deliver that answer. So let me do that right now. And the answer to that question is, uh, I collect Wii U games because I love the Wii U. And there was a time where I was like, I want some backup cases in case like I find a game with a gross case or a GameStop and a black case that I can swap into a blue case. And GameStop was selling Star Fox Guard for 99 cents each. So I just bought a bunch of them. And then I, I only had to ever swap out one of them that I have in this now black case. I don't remember even what Wii U game it was that I swapped out. But yeah, one of them I swapped out into the into the blue case. And then I uh, stopped collecting Wii U games because Devil's Third is $500 and I'm not going to buy that. That was going to be my question was, are there any Wii U games that like have escaped you at this point? Like, are there any that aren't in your collection and you're like, I would genuinely like to own that and play it? Yeah, I only care about, uh, I didn't quantify this. I only care about Nintendo published Wii U games is what I was mm-hmm. going for. And mm-hmm. Devil's Third is really the only one that, I don't have that that kind of stopped me. But then because of how expensive Devil's Third was, I stopped collecting other ones. So there's a couple I don't have. Like a shockingly expensive one is Mario and Sonic, the 2016 Rio Olympic Games on Wii U. Oh, weird. Like $90, 90 to 100 bucks. Wow. I'm just not going to pick that up. No. So and then there's some that I have on Switch that I never got on Wii U, like Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Uh, I don't have the Wii U version of that, but. Oh, whatever. Isn't the Wii, the Switch one better? Yeah, which is like, I don't, I don't know. I yeah. Get the, so many that's, not, that's not what collecting is about. Switch now. Yeah. So it kind of fizzled <laughs> out. Uh, but now I'm left with these. This awesome collection of, of Star Fox cards. All right. Anyways, let's wrap this thing up. You can find Chris online at... Drives93. Justin, welcome to the boardroom. Go on, go on Twitter. Give him a shout. You can find him at... It's at Corey's at K-O-R-E-I-S. And you can find myself at Logan J. Plant. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time right here in the Toadstool Boardroom.